It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com, coming to you on a Monday, October 19th, and for a change, after an LA Galaxy win. A 1-0 win over the Vancouver Whitecaps on Sunday night broke the LA Galaxy six-game losing streak, seven-game unbeat, or seven-game winless streak. Um, so some, some, I guess, good news out of the LA Galaxy. Certainly not all and any problems really have been solved, uh, but there's a lot to talk about. We're going to get into that. Uh, there's also a whole bunch of rumors around the uh, around uh, Cameron Barish-Coloto and whether or not he'll be staying around and also who could possibly be replacing him. We talked about Robbie Keane on Thursday night. We have some more information, and so we're going to touch a little bit more on that as well. And then uh, the, the guy everybody loves to talk about, whether it's the uh, the English-speaking press, the Spanish-speaking press, Chicharito once again uh, comes under fire. Um, maybe some, some different things we're going to touch on with him as well. And then uh, really sort of leading you up to the final El Trafico. I say that in, like not knowing whether or not there could possibly be another one, but the final El Trafico of the quote-unquote regular season here in 2020. Uh, the COVID short season uh, is coming up on Sunday, so we're going to get you basically up to and, and ready for the midweek, and then on Thursday we'll preview that game for you. So a bunch of get to, a lot of things to touch on here, supporter shield, wooden spoon, a whole bunch of little intricate uh, things to talk about to help me do all that. It's uh, the panda himself, Mr. Kevin Baxter. Kev, how's it going, buddy? Hey, when you said the guy everybody likes to talk about, I just assumed you were talking about me. You threw Chicharito in there, and it, it, it kind of threw me for a loop. Hey, you know the Dodgers are in the World Series now, uh, and they're playing just about two weeks after the Lakers won the NBA championship. Um, so we could have you know, two LA teams win championships. Do you know the last time they won the World Series? Do you know where the, the Galaxy finished that season? No, where did they finish? There was no Galaxy. That was in 1988 before, uh, before there was an MLS. However, another trivia note here on the world series so the dodgers are playing for the baseball championship two weeks after the lakers won the basketball championship they're playing tampa bay Mm -hmm. and the tampa bay lightning won the nhl stanley cup so one team is going to have two championships when this world series is over well that's uh, that's all i mean i know that uh galaxy fans it was funny because when we were at the game um i I noticed one online in twitter that galaxy fans were certainly watching the dodger game uh during the la galaxy game and you know the good news is that through the first 90 minutes of the game you really didn't really need to watch all that much Uh, the galaxy did pick it up towards the latter half of the second half um, but it, it wasn't really that exciting. And I know uh, some of the reporters, Damian Calhoun was off to my right, um, and he was he was there uh, watching uh, the updates on the Dodger game, uh, and we were all sort of talking back and forth about the Dodger game. So it was one of those fun sort of nights um, where I think there were four LA teams in action on Sunday. I think you had the Rams, you had LAFC, you had the Galaxy, and you had the Dodgers all playing at the same time, um, which is which is a pretty unique and crazy sort of uh, a thing to think about whenever you think about Los Angeles as, as really sort of the sports hub um, of the West Coast for sure, uh, but to have all those teams go at the same side. And, you know, like I said before, surprise, surprise, Kevin, uh, the LA Galaxy actually won a game, uh, which is uh, an interesting development over a uh, over a six and seven game, uh, you know, winless streak, uh, a six game losing streak. Uh, the Galaxy finally get the win. And, you know, 
with a, a team with Christian Pavone on it, a, a team with uh, with Yone Gonzalez, a team with Chicharito on it, uh, you would imagine that team scores some goals. Um, except none of those three guys scored a goals. It, it took 22-year-old uh, Kai Kareniuk uh, in only his uh, his second appearance in Major League Soccer uh, and the, his first appearance. He got a total of one minute. Um, so he came in with three minutes remaining and scored a goal. And so that was the uh, that was the goal the LA Galaxy did. But what do you think of uh, of the game? What do you think of the atmosphere? I know we talk about the atmosphere whenever we go to these games and sort of have a, have a little bit of an outlook on it. But um, what do you think of this particular game, Kevin? Well, first of all, Koriniak, we got to go to the numbers. He's played four minutes. He has two. He has one goal and two shots on goal in four minutes. Chicharito's played 692 minutes. He has one goal. He has four shots on goal. And by the way, Koriniak's goal, that that that's the first game Chicharito has played in. Now, because of Koriniak's first game Chicharito's played in that the Galaxy have won. But, you know, I said to you uh, about midway through the game that, that I thought the game, I thought it was a bad game. It I was. just... It, it just it didn't seem to be any rhythm to it. There didn't seem to be any flow. I, I still can't figure out why Vancouver continued to play wide. I, I really thought there was an opportunity for them to go inside, especially with people, uh, you know, playing uh, for the first time since Florida. Or I guess the second time. I think he might have played nine minutes since they came back. But uh, I, I just thought Vancouver had a lot of opportunities inside. I, I thought Jonathan Klinsman played a good game when he was called on. He had only four. He had four saves. I shouldn't say only four. He had four saves. His first MLS shutout in his second start. I thought he played pretty well. Um, and you know, Kariniak. Another thing we've talked a lot about uh, Guillermo's seeming inability or, or lack of success in, in in being able to substitute and make a change that affects the flow of a game. Um, you know, bringing somebody on either to to shut down an opposing team, opposing team, or to push for a goal. Like remember how great Alan Gordon was at that, for example. Um, Koreniak is the first Galaxy player to come off the bench and score a goal this season. That's, yeah. That, to me, is amazing. Yeah, not only that, the LA Galaxy were the last team to have a sub come off the bench and score a goal this season. Out of all the other Major League Soccer teams, Galaxy were the last one to have it done. Um, which is just, uh, that's mind-blowing. That's one of those stats. Uh, not only does does the Koreniak, Koreniak has four total minutes in Major League Soccer and one goal to his name, uh, and that came over the course of two games. That blows my mind a little bit. Um, let's go back and start you know, a little bit with the lineup here because there was a surprise even in this lineup being announced, and, and that was that uh, Guillermo Verascoloto clearly on the hot seat. Um, you know, I think that if he loses this game uh, that we're talking right now about the LA Galaxy not having a head coach and, and not having a coaching staff and who's going to lead them into playing, you know, LAFC. Um, well, we saw, Dan, we saw Dan Beckerman there, which I, is the first time I've seen him during the pandemic. Dan Beckerman, who's the president and CEO of AEG, the one who would ultimately, ultimately make the decision if there was a coaching change. I just, he was there in a luxury suite. It's the first time I've seen him. He had the whole Galaxy brain trust around him. So clearly something was up because, you know, the brass was out to see this game. Yeah, it was. Uh, he was walking. I, I caught him walking through the concourse with Chris Klein. Uh, Dennis DeClosa was around. I mean, you know, Chris Klein and Dennis DeClosa are there all the time. That's not really a surprise. Just the fact that they're in and around the orbit of Dan Beckerman, who is not there all the time, um, sort of touches off your little spidey senses whenever you see that. So, I mean, there was real pressure on Gamer Bershkoloto. I don't know that that pressure is gone. I don't know that anything got solved. As Kevin, you were rightfully correct in, in saying that the, uh, the LA Galaxy played, I thought, a boring game. I thought Vancouver played a boring game. Vancouver has more of a reason to play a boring game than the LA Galaxy do, however. So looking at all that, um, you can you can sort of see this, but it was the Gamer Barrow you know, bench Chicharito. That is a that's a big deal. And 
Um, we're going to talk about some of his post-game comments as well because those, I think, are important into trying to figure out his mindset about Chicharito and how that goes. But bottom line is, in this lineup, and the Galaxy started what was listed as a 4-3-3. I don't think it played that way um, whenever you look at it. But uh, Yoni Gonzalez was playing at the center of the three forwards with Alvarez on the right and Pavone on the left. And so those were your three forwards. You had Legette, Kitchen, and Kleshton playing in the midfield. Now, uh, the other change to the lineup was People Gonzalez. People Gonzalez, who has not started a game, Kevin, in since July 19th. Um, and I think he came on in one game in September. Uh, yeah, played nine, I think nine minutes is all he's played since then. Yeah, exactly. That was the September game. Um, he comes in, I think 919 was the, maybe it was against Colorado from what I'm trying to remember off the top of my head because I looked up last night whenever we were at the game. Um, but uh, People Gonzalez came in and replaced Nick DePew, um in the center back role. So you had Araujo, you had Sterez, you had Gonzalez, and you had Insua over there as well. You had Klinsman at goalkeeper, his second one as well. So we talked about that. Um, I don't. I said I don't think that they played a four-three-three, Kevin. And in my mind, you had more of Kitchen being sort of the defensive guy, um, so he was that central defensive midfielder. And then you had two CMs, really your your two central midfielders, in Legette and Question. Um, you had Alvarez drop back into the midfield. You had Pavone drop back into the midfield. So you know, in a way, maybe they were playing more of a you know four-five-one in a lot of ways. Um, but I didn't see the all-out you know offensive blitz that you would sort of expect whenever you have three attacking players uh, you know, going into the box. I think the Galaxy struggled once again to create chances on the offense, and I think some of that was was due, in fact, to the that you had Yanni Gonzalez as a single striker um, up there. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting start to even that. I mean, Kevin, were you surprised that Guillermo Barrescoloto did not start Chicharito? Is that something that was, like, completely out of your mind, or did it sort of, you know, was it sort of one of those things where, like, yeah, this makes more sense than probably uh, probably you would first think? Well, both of those things. I was a little surprised, but then when you think about it, it makes sense. Remember, he took him out very early in the second half of the last game. He was clearly, uh, he's clearly ran out of patience with Chicharito for whatever reason. And remember, when Chicharito came in, he had three uh, really good goal scoring opportunities. One was deflected by a defender. The second one, he skied way over the net. And the third one, he couldn't even get on the, the end of a loose ball. For a poacher, that last one's the most dangerous one because that's that's what he does. He grabs those loose balls in the box and scores. And this time he couldn't even latch onto it. So I, I, I was surprised. Yeah, because I, I, you know, putting Yanni up there, I guess makes sense. Uh, so I was a little bit surprised, but then on the other hand, I wasn't, I think, it, I think what Guillermo was saying is like, look, if I'm going to go down, I'm going down playing the lineup that I want. And so it, it tells me a little bit that he probably felt some pressure from the front office to play the $6 million man to let Chicharito play until he figures this out. And I think, I, I think Guillermo got to the point of saying, look, if I'm going to, if I'm going to lose this game and lose my job because of it, I'm going to do it playing the lineup that I want. And so I kind of look at that as, as Guillermo sort of, uh, you know, throwing the gauntlet down and saying, here's the team that I wanted to play all along. Yeah, I mean, it's that's that's definitely I think part of it is that you know, hey, if I'm going to get fired, then I'm going to get fired. You know, playing the guys that I want to play. That's that's some of it. Here's the other part of it, and this is what he said afterwards. Uh, and he was asked why you know Chicharito didn't start, um, and it, Guillermo was very quick to answer. I thought he was in a generally a pretty good mood, Kevin. Obviously, the Galaxy win, and so that takes some pressure off of him a little bit. Um, but he got really defensive around the Chicharito questions, um, which I thought was interesting. 
interesting. Um, Damian Calhoun, I believe, asked him sort of the questions and asking him about you know Chicharito starting the bench um, and sort of what was the 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 impetus for that. Um, and, and Guillermo almost cut Damian off, and he says, you know, he speaking of Chicharito says he's on the bench because I decide to play with just one striker. I thought Gonzalo was Gonzalez was better than him, and so obviously the quote that everybody's going with is that uh, you know that Guillermo Barrascoleto thinks that. Uh, Chich- that uh, Yoni Gonzalez is a better player than uh, Chicharito, and uh, that's it. it I, I think it's l- missing some context. At least it was missing some context with me, Kevin. Um, and and for me, he's saying he's on the bench because I just decided to play with just one striker. He's telling you that he's playing a one striker formation, and in that one striker formation, he thinks that Yoni Gonzalez is a better fit than Chicharito in that. And by the way, um, whenever I heard him say that, and I put it in that context, I said, "Duh!" I go, "We've been seeing that over and over again that Chicharito is not a good single striker player." Um, so Yoni Gonzalez was put in there. I was disappointed with what the the LA Galaxy got out of uh, Yoni Gonzalez in that single striker formation, Kevin. I thought uh, Yoni Gonzalez, or as the, or as the Discord is taken to calling him, um, Yamar, Yamar, um, because he rolls around like Neymar. Um, and so he's, they, they've called him now Gamar. Um, so Yoni Gonzalez, uh, goes down easily. He was trying to draw fouls. Um, to be fair, he got significantly chopped down that ended up injuring him. And there was no yellow card where really there should have been a yellow card. Um, I thought the refereeing as a whole was, was, was pretty trash. Um, on the night, and that goes for both directions. You could see both players, both sides, both uh, both teams being frustrated by the refereeing that was going on. But having said that, Yoni Gonzalez really didn't bring much. Uh, in 50 minutes playing, uh, Kevin Yoni Gonzalez got 18 touches. Um, he had two shots. That was it. Um, in 40 minutes of play, after Yoni Gonzalez went off injured um, in about the 50th minute, and Chicharito came in for the final 40 minutes of the game, uh, Chicharito got 20 touches, so two more than than Yoni Gonzalez, uh, and he had four shots. You can say that um, that Chicharito was not good enough because he missed uh, two sitters, I would say for sure. One was an absolute sitter uh, that he missed. And, you know, really good forwards are going to miss sitters. And that's just sort of one of the things that happens. But at the same time, a guy who's making, you know, five million plus bonuses and a $10 million transfer fee, Kevin, can't be missing all of those chances whenever there's all this pressure on him to perform. I mean, can you imagine if we're sitting here now talking about Chicharito scoring two goals in this game um, and how much better the LA Galaxy looked and how, you know, them getting him involved uh, really did sort of change this around. I mean, it changes the narrative a lot more than Chicharito missed two sitters and the most expensive player for the LA Galaxy started the play, started the, this game on the bench and had to come off the bench and look how motivated he is. I thought he was motivated. Um, I thought he was better than we have seen him. I thought he played better than Yoni Gonzalez and got more involved than Gonzalez in Gonzalez's 50 minutes and Chicharito's 40 minutes. I thought the LA Galaxy were better once he was on the field. All of those things are good, but for a guy who's making that much money right now, Kevin, you can't sit there and say this is ideal, that he started on the bench and came off and made an impact, but that impact had you know nothing to do with the LA Galaxy winning the game. Well, and that's probably part of, Guillermo's strategy with this thing. If he's telling us that Chicharito's not starting because he's not as good as Yanni Gonzalez, uh, certainly he's saying that in the locker room or around the team. I think it was a message he wanted to get to Chicharito. Whether he totally believes it or not, I, I don't know. He probably does at this point. But he definitely wanted Chicharito to believe that that's what he thought. And so, yeah, you're right. Chicharito was way more motivated. I mean, th- this is the, the the leading scorer in Mexican national team history, uh, a three-time World Cup player, 
And uh, the coach is telling him, we just got this young kid from Columbia who's better than you. Uh, I, I think that would motivate you if you had any pride at all. So, you know, I think that was kind of part of the strategy. But one thing I find really interesting about this game is the Galaxy beat Vancouver one to nothing. They end the losing streak. Yes, the goals and stoppage time. Um, uh, you know, the Galaxy were outplayed for parts of that ga- of that of that game. You know what? Vancouver has leads the leads MLS in losses. They've lost twelve games. That was our twelfth loss. They're, yes, they're ahead of the Galaxy in the standings because the Galaxy is in last place. But it's not like they beat you know uh, the Brazilian World Cup team. Right. Um, everyone's you know is, you know throwing a, a party because they won this game. It's it's better than losing the game. Yes, absolutely. But it's not like I don't think that they've turned a big corner unless the reaction to this is that Chicharito wakes up, that Guillermo thinks he's discovered another weapon in Yanni Gonzalez. We're going to get uh, the players back from international duty next weekend for the LAFC game. The one thing about the LAFC game is when you look at it on paper, I think especially the way the Galaxy are playing right now, you think LAFC is going to win that game handily. But, you know, Galaxy won the last two with LAFC. I think they get geeked up for that game. I think they have a lot of confidence in that game. If the Galaxy can win that one, then they've turned a corner. But I don't think this Vancouver game really did much for them. They do have a full week of training, very rare this time of year in this season. Uh, If they use it wisely, um, maybe this could be the start of something. Remember last time they won their first game, we were talking about whether that was just uh, you know a lucky win or whether right. it would mean something, and they won four in a row. Yeah, I know. I mean, and and that was a theme in in the post game too. Um, you know, Guillermo said it. Hey, yeah, we lost six games in a row, but you know, earlier we also won four in a row. Um, you know, it's a way to sort of dismiss the six game losing streak. It's like, yeah, we lost six, but you know, we've also won four. So you know, this could be the start of four or five right now. So I mean, you know, six, it, six is more than four. It is. I I, I learned that. Um, that's what they told me. So um, you know, they're trying to say that and i think in a way it's smart and you know we can talk about uh sasha Kleshin, who i thought had his best game in an la galaxy uniform um and and he's such uh, i'm gonna gush and it's 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 because there's there's some serious respect for for a man who has the ability to um you know art- articulate what he sees on the soccer field and what the locker room is feeling without sort of throwing anybody under the bench or saying anything and Sasha Kleshin can come out and, and tell you like the worst news in the world and you're still sitting there like nodding your head as as he explains it because he always makes so much sense um but Sasha Kleshin talked about just you know hey yeah I'm exhausted from this game I ran a bunch because but you know I haven't been playing and I feel like I feel like we have a little bit I feel like I got my legs back a little bit more you know I'm paraphrasing all this stuff as he goes but he goes you know it's it's the result was more important i think sophie uh, sophie nicolau asked uh asked sasha the question you know was the r- result more important than how you got there and the answer is sort of yeah i mean right now you know the points are more important than making it a pretty win or making it anything else um he, he said it, i quote first yes the result was more important than the performance i think it was important to show our fans a better performance in regards to attitude and mentality and playing for each other and giving a little bit more than perhaps we have so in that aspect i would say it was positive obviously we needed uh mentality and playing for each other and uh, let's see obviously we needed three points desperately to clean up this slide that we have been on and now to get back on the win column and hopefully get us on a roll so we know that the next game becomes even more important to push ourselves towards the playoff towards the playoffs and yes players spoke especially tonight at different parts during the warm-ups before the game when we were in the huddle in the locker room when we were when we were all talking it's been very positive guys have been supporting each other we've been urging each other to give a little bit more and do anything we can to get three points and i'm happy that we got them tonight 
Um, he's just it, it's he, he's talking a lot of you know just the the mental struggles of being in that losing streak and, and trying to come back from it and I thought he played um, just a really good game and and we've joked I think many times Kevin that at 35 years old um, you know he's he's over the hill and I think he knows it um, but at the same time he understands what this team needs if they're gonna do anything it's gonna be on the back of somebody like Sasha Kleshin. And as much as that maybe people scratch their heads for that, Kevin, you have to have somebody who's going to lead this team right now. And I can't point to anybody else on this field that's going to do it besides Sasha Kleshin. So you've broken up with Julian Araujo and now you're dating Sasha Kleshin? <laughs> yes, apparently. I don't know. Yeah. You know. I'm keeping my options open right now, Kevin. All right? I'm keeping my options open. I'm not exclusive You, you should anybody. do that going, going into your senior year. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. No, I mean, you know, uh, Julian Araujo, I thought, played a really good game, too, just so that way I can get that off, off my plate. Insua was awesome. You thought Insua was really good. I, thought, I did. I thought Insua and Pipa were the weaker links in the in the. Oh, I thought in, Insua in the back was line. really good in the first half, especially in the first half. When he was right in front of us, we saw him a lot. I thought he was really good. Yeah, he can he can play well. I never had a problem with Insua. There's lots of people who want to pick on him and say that you know he's he's below average, and I think he's just a steady, predictable um, guy at left back. I, I think he's fine. I wish he would learn how to cross a little bit better because his crosses are usually to nobody. Uh, the overlap run with Christian Pavone is 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 boring, um, and it's figured out pretty much by everybody who's there. Um, you know that type of thing. But at, at the same time, I think that he brings a work rate. Um, I thought people can always you know managed to figure out a way not to give up any huge plays which was good um dan Starris had some bad passes in there as well so i mean overall it wasn't horrible game it wasn't a great game my big takeaway is that when you ask the midfield to defend you had perry kitchen have a good game you had sasha Kleshin have a good game uh, perry kitchen picked up a yellow card he will be out for lafc so they won't have him but uh jonathan dos santos should be back so um him possibly joe corona who is still out injured and still hasn't made the 18 and even though we I've don't been, know anything about it yeah i was gonna say even though i've asked and been told that it is a minor injury i would have expected a minor injury doesn't keep you out three games now um so Whenever you look at that, I don't know what his status is, but Jonathan Dos Santos, Rolf Felcher, uh, possibly back for the LAFC game. So, But when you ask guys to defend first, Kevin, you get a, a better defensive performance. I thought Araujo stayed home a little bit more. I thought Ensua stayed home a little bit more. Perry Kitchen parked himself in front. It was all the things that really they did well whenever they were winning that they did last night. They just didn't do it very well, and they were playing a team that was very tired. Yeah, well, they were. Uh, yeah, they were, I think it was defense first. It was like, let's see if we can at least get a scoreless draw, and if we luck into a goal, we'll take that. Uh, uh, you know, I think that was the deal. After remember, they gave up what ten goals or something like that in the last two games. So it was like, let's let's figure out the defense first and see what happens on offense. Um, another thing with Insua though is he was playing two days after his wife gave birth. Yes. Um, so you know, maybe a little bit distracted, maybe a little bit rested. I don't know, but. Uh, kind of surprised to see him play and and you know kudos to him he i'm sure that you know after chicharito missed two days after his wife gave birth not you know again you point out every every situation is different and and unless you're in that in that uh, maternity uh, room with with the couple you really can't you really it's unfair to say anything but my point is he probably could have said look i need to be home at this time instead he came out and played it was a big game and i thought he had a big effort and and so obviously he's was very interested in turning around this losing streak as well. Yeah, he, he definitely was. Uh, LA Galaxy outshoot Vancouver handedly, Kevin, 18-7. to 7. 
uh, whenever you look at that. Uh, the problem is that nine of those 18 were off target. Uh, Galaxy got five shots on target. Uh, Vancouver got five shots on target. Um, so it was it was a, a little bit more even there than the initial shots would sort of tell you. It's interesting you look at the possession because I know you and I were talking about this. Uh, Vancouver with almost 55% of the possession on the road. The thing that you see, though, if you go into the five-minute increments onto the stats is that the LA Galaxy in the second half right around mm, the 60th minute, maybe a little bit earlier, but the 55th minute started to take over that game. Um, that's where this push really comes through. And that's where you see the scoring chances. Remember Christian Pavone hit one off the crossbar. Um, you know, you had, uh, you had Chicharito get a couple sh- chances in there. You had, I think there was a header. Somebody missed, uh, missed inside as well. The, the expected goals on this had the LA galaxy over one. Um, so the one is probably a pretty good, uh, good staple. And they held uh, Vancouver to a 0.33 unexpected goals so Vancouver really didn't have that many chances so I think you have to credit the defense you have to look at that and say okay that that makes some sense um, and then you know you have to say that the LA Galaxy they got a little bit lucky towards the end there um, it, it's funny so we talk about that one that Chicharito missed uh, Kevin who do you know who passed Chicharito the ball on his sitter that he missed no Araujo? no it was Pavone Right. And and the reason that it and the reason why the you might have said Araujo, by the way, is because uh, they did something with Pavone towards the end of the game, which is they moved Pavone onto the right hand side. Uh, Pavone no, who had been, it's really it's really just because I was guessing. But anyways, please, yeah. Thanks for the, yeah, thanks for the thanks for the thumbs up there. No problem. See, I, I sort of I worked. You didn't sound you didn't sound stupid. I, I made you sound smart. And, and, and that's I, I work really hard at that. Um, no, Pavone uh, put in a right-footed cross. Uh, they came across the box, and Chicharito missed it and took a little gouge out of the out of the uh, turf as well. Um, so just just missed that. Uh, if you want to go and you want to watch Kai Kareniak's game winner, same play, same exact play, almost from the same spot. Uh, again, Pavone, right-footed cross, low, on the ground. Kareniuk basically beat Chicharito there. I'm not so sure. If Kareniuk isn't there, Chicharito may actually knock that home. Having said that, he had a chance a couple minutes earlier, and he missed it. So probably a good thing that Kai Kareniuk was there uh, to knock it home um, and, and put that away. So... I mean, overall, I, I think, Kevin, you look at this and you have to say, okay, the Yellow Galaxy played, um, you know, a, a pretty boring brand of soccer for about 80 or so minutes, maybe maybe a little bit less than that. Maybe it's 70, 75 minutes in there. Um, but they got the win. And, you know, for a team that's struggling to get points and still has uh, their eyes uh, on uh, on the playoffs and, and, you know, still trying to move up the standings and all that fun stuff, you have to say that, you know, it was mission accomplished for what they had on the night. I don't think that they get any style points. I don't think that anybody's job is suddenly saved. Um, if they continue to win games, I think somebody's job might be saved for a little while. So uh, that's either a good or bad thing, depending on how you look at it. Uh, but the LA Galaxy currently sitting just three three points out of a playoff spot. Um, so, you know, that's, that's not horrible. There's a whole bunch of teams in between there, Kevin, but that's that's not a horrible thing. Well, yeah, but you look at the schedule going forward and, and, you know, do this advisedly because you and I coming back from Florida, we were talking about how they weren't going to win any of those first four or five games right. and, and they went four and oh. But when you look at the schedule, they have LAFC on the road, not really on the road. They're in Southern California. There's no travel involved. They have LAFC there. Then they have, uh, after that, at some point they play Real Salt Lake. They play, yeah, Portland it goes, it, it and goes, Seattle. It goes LAFC, Portland, Real Salt in Portland. Lake. Yeah, yeah, in Portland, Real Salt Lake at home, and then Vancouver in Portland. Um, right, and then, 
they end with Vancouver and Portland. They have that Seattle game. There's a lot of interesting things here. The LAFC game, uh, you know, I, I think the Galaxy have a real good shot in there. I think they're very confident against LAFC right now. LAFC scuffling a little bit. Um, Portland, I think they go to Portland, and, and that's going to be a very tough environment. Portland now in first place, I believe, in the Western Conference now, um, playing for that bye, that first-round playoff bye. That's going to be a tough environment. I think they probably beat Real Salt Lake. The Seattle game is the one that, for me, is the most interesting because on paper it looks like Seattle would win that game. Um, you know, the number two team in the conference, they're, they're very high up in the Supporters' Shield standings, which we'll talk about in a minute. But that game is a makeup game. It's going to be played a couple, what, four or five days before decision day, yep. the final game of the regular season. It's it's a road game for Seattle. Yep. So if they're kind of locked into their playoff spot or they're happy with where they're at. I think that's definitely a game that Seattle doesn't bring its first team down here. And then it also all of a sudden becomes a game the Galaxy can win. The Galaxy need points. You said they're three points away, but everyone that they're chasing, they're all going to be playing games, so they have a chance to pick up points too. The Galaxy need to get points, and that Seattle game may turn out to be really key if, in fact, Seattle doesn't bring its first team down. Yeah, October 25th at LAFC, October 28th at Portland, uh, November 1st home to RSL, November 4th home to uh, Seattle, and then November 8th away to Vancouver in Portland. Yes, that's a fun one. By the way, that'll be. Will that be the first time the LA Galaxy ever play a road game against a, an opponent who's not from that stadium? Is that is that? Is I'm that, sure that's happened in the past, but you know, Vancouver is really tough with the, when they're defending that Providence Park turf. <laughs> that's that's what I heard. That's what I heard. Oh, COVID, COVID is is crazy. Um, you know, it's funny they had Almeida up at, at San Jose. He was talking about the season. He goes, <laughs> and they asked him, you know, so what do you sort of expect from the rest of the season? I, and he said, he said, I just want the season to be over, <laughs> right? And I was like, yeah, I can feel that. It's it's crazy. It's wacky. Yeah. Um, it's exhausting, Kevin. This season you is know, exhausting. There's a lot of crazy stuff, and we're going to talk a little bit about the COVID effect uh, because it touches everything. I mean, you know, you start the season, you get, uh, you have a four-month break, then you play the quarantine tournament, then you come home, and you you have these bizarre travel assignments where you, you know, have to go up and back in the same day. Yeah, it's really a difficult schedule, and I think whoever does win is a deserving champion, but they also get an asterisk. But I say all that only because we hear a lot of people like Almeida, uh, Guillermo's used that as an I don't, I don't, yes, it's an excuse. I was yeah. going to say, I don't want to say excuse, but it's an excuse. They use it all the time. Look, it's a tough season. We're dealing with a lot of stuff. Yeah, you are. But you know what? So is Toronto. Toronto isn't even in the same country anymore. It's playing all its games in Hartford. So the team is not necessarily quarantined, but they're on the road for you know, the final two months of the season, and they have the best record in the league, and they're probably going to set an MLS record for, for most points per game. Um, so, you know, Toronto has, has succeeded in making this work. It, so it, it, it gets a little hard to listen to the teams make excuses. Yes, I understand it's a difficult situation, but if it was that tough, everybody would be struggling with it. And you see some teams like Columbus and Toronto, Seattle and Portland doing very well. Yeah, you know, again, you know, you talked about them having an MLS record, and I like put quotation marks over it as you said it. Um, it's not. It's not an MLS record, and it can't be. Um, you know, those guys have done a good job, and I'm not going to, you know, discount that. Um, they also got to beat up on the pretty poor Canadian teams for a little while up there. I mean, we've talked about Columbus and them playing Cincinnati and some other sort of also rans uh, in there. I mean, Seattle's had probably one of the toughest. Uh, schedules and so if you really want to talk about a team that is has been successful it's Seattle right now 
um, you know, as much as you want to do it. Here's the here's the rub on all this, and and sort of where we're leading everybody to, is that the Independent Supporters Council came out and announced that the wooden spoon, which was once housed in my studio, and I do not want it back. Um, is it will not be awarded this year. So basically, the team that finishes in last place um, will not get the wooden spoon this year. And they said, you know, they, they, they basically said the board felt it was inappropriate to offer such a distinction for shortened and geographically limited seasons. Guess what? They got it 100% correct. There should be no wooden spoon awarded this year. You can talk about bad teams, and certainly there are bad teams. And if the LA Galaxy finish on the bottom and, you know, they decide they really want to hand out the wooden spoon, I have I don't care. But at the same time, this means something because this first announcement they had on the wooden spoon was the correct announcement, um, at least in my mind. Now, Kevin, well, let me talk about the Supporter Shield, which also got announced um, by the Independent Supporters Council. Um, and basically, uh, here I'll read their statement. It says, after much consideration and discussion, uh, the Supporter Shield Foundation has decided to forego awarding the Supporter Shield for the 2020 season. This is not an easy decision to make with the inability for supporters to be in attendance and fill the stadiums with passion. However, we feel as though the current climate goes against the spirit of the Shield. The Supporter Shield Foundation stands with our players and our supporters and knowing that this year has been one of many challenges and we commend the support and effort given to making the best of the 2020 season as it has been. Um, there's a whole bunch of other stuff in there, but again, it goes back to exactly really what they said. It's inappropriate to offer such a distinction for a shortened and geographically limited season. We talk about the last real supporter shield winner were the 2011 LA galaxy because it was a balanced schedule. All right. You can go to any season that has had a balanced schedule. There should rightfully be a supporter shield winner. After that, it becomes a useless award. Um, and it's worth noting that the Independent Supporters Council and the Supporters Shield Foundation are in place to keep Major League Soccer really from uh, taking any ownership of those particular awards, um, which is an interesting sort of thing to say. But, you know, there's always been this worry, Kevin, and I think rightfully so, that MLS will capitalize and try to monetize almost anything it can whenever it can. And so uh, in order for these independent sort of councils and and foundations to hold these uh, these trophies, they sort of keep that away from Major League Soccer. Um there's a whole bunch of other stuff that we can sort of talk about as well, but I'll just tell you, MLS was not pleased whenever all of a sudden they said there would not be a supporter shield awarded this year, which goes to point out once again, this is why it's an independent and why it's part of foundation. What do you think, Kevin? No wooden spoon, no supporter shield. Well, I get the wooden spoon. Let's, let's not pile on. Someone's had a tough season under these circumstances. Maybe it's a, a good idea not to give that away. But it's the supporters council. So for the supporters shield, I get it. Supporters can't go to the games. They can't back their teams. They can't cheer this great season. So maybe maybe it is a good idea not to give it. I, however, I will say when that was announced, the people in Toronto, well, they're not in Toronto, they're in Hartford, Connecticut. The people in Hartford, Connecticut went crazy. I've talked to a lot of players about this and they believe to a person that the supporters shield is uh, the more important uh, uh, trophy than the MLS Cup. And they say, look, if you win the Supporters' Shield, that means you were the good team, you were the best team in the league for 34 games. And, you know, it all kinds of weather injuries, uh, you know, international breaks, you were the best team. It's a much more important award in their eyes. They look at the playoffs and say, yeah, that's the one everybody remembers, clearly. And that's the one, you know, where you're the league champion. But they, a lot of players I talk to look at that as a little bit of luck. You know, it's it's uh, many times one game. Um, anything can happen. You can have a great season and, and it, 
play, you know, play a championship game in the rain or your best player is injured and, and for one game you're not that good. So the supporter shield is something that the players find very important. Now, MLS did say that it was going to give the bonuses out and was going right. to declare the team the league champion, you know, the, the supporter shield winner, even though, if there wasn't a trophy. But again, you know, this is an important thing for the players. And now we know that the, the Independent Supporters Council is reconsidering and there may actually wind up being a supporter shield after all. Yeah. I, I do agree with you, though, that uh, maybe we should hold off on the wooden spoon. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> so here's here's the argument is that, you know, in a lot of ways, the supporter shield winner, and this has always been the case, you know, is dictated more by your schedule than anything else. And so if you have an easier schedule, and that usually means, um, you know, in terms of traveling and who you play, because you don't play everybody on in the other conference, right? You play everybody in your conference, uh, you know, twice, at least that was what it was. Um, and then you end up playing maybe one or two of those teams three times and then you'll play um, a, a smattering, a, a selection of, of teams from the other conference and some of those will be on the road and some of those will be at home and how far you have to travel and how they sort of link those road trips together I mean, yeah, if you win the Supporter Shield it usually means that you were a very good team throughout the entire uh, entire year but as we've seen, I think multiple times, um, is that you, you have a conference that is better um, than the other conference which happens almost every year where they're very often not equal um, in any sense uh, in terms of competition. You have one conference where it's a little bit easier to run through, you know, let's say the Eastern Conference because you have X number of teams that really are just poor teams and they sit on the bottom. And you look at the Western Conference where everybody's beating each other up and it's a much more difficult conference. Well, guess what? If you're in the more difficult conference, it's harder for you to win the Supporter Shield. If you end up winning it, maybe you have some claim to something. But at the same time, what if you don't play the best team in the East? Um, what if you don't have to go on you know some ridiculous road trip that we've seen you know the LA Galaxy go on so it's really hard to put anything into either of these awards anymore and I would be happier is if there was a you know a western supporter shield and an eastern supporter shield knowing that at least within the conference um, you know you're competing uh, the, the teams that you play the most games against that's who you're competing against instead of just sort of tossing up points in a general direction and saying, well, yeah, I mean, you got more points. It doesn't matter who you played and therefore you, you get these things. I just, I have a real problem with not having a balanced schedule. And if you don't have a balanced schedule, which you can't right now, and I understand that I'm not a, not a, not a, a what is it? I'm a realist. Um, whenever it comes to these things, if you don't have a balanced schedule, then you, you, you can't really determine these things. I mean, it's that way across a lot of American sports, and I get that. Um, but the bottom line is that we've seen it with a balanced schedule, and when it was a balanced schedule, it's a very prestigious award to get. Um, outside of that, and certainly within this COVID-shortened season uh, with all sorts of crazy things, whoever finishes top of the league, they did a really good job. Congratulations. And whoever wins MLS Cup this year did a really good job. Congratulations. They just don't mean as much as any other season. Well, no, it's not going to. And, and all we have to do is ask Guillermo about that. And he'll tell us about how COVID interrupted everything. And, you know, and I don't need me to keep harping on that. It, it has, it's been a tough season for everybody. And I do think a lot of people just can't wait to get this over with. And, you know, we're going to start the playoffs next month. And we're going to start the playoffs with a lot of teams missing their best players because they'll be off on international break again. Yeah, it's again, it's just it's it's this this year is shambles, Kevin, this year is shambles. But I mean, we do have some more to talk about on that as well. So let's let's shift a little bit to rumors and let's talk what we sort of know a little bit more about. I mean, 
I would imagine being that you're talking about Guillermo, we're talking about COVID, we're talking about Dennis DeClosa, and we, we've talked about, um, you know, sort of the uh, the focus on Chris Klein and Dan Beckerman, um, and really where the accountability has been for the LA Galaxy since uh, Bruce Arena left in 2016. Um, there's been, been a severe downturn in that, but I would have to imagine... Kevin and you and I uh, had a little conversation about this, and so I'll let you talk about it because you're you're much smarter on the subject than I am. Um, which is, I have to imagine that this LA Galaxy team, if it was not a COVID year, uh, if there was not a global pandemic, would look different um, if Dennis DeClosa and Guillermo Barrascolotto uh, had their way. Well, before just before we leave the Bruce Arena thing too much, I, I did some uh, statistics uh, earlier today. In the eight full seasons that Bruce Arena was here, the Galaxy won three MLS Cups, played in four finals, made the playoffs every season. They were 123, 65, and 76, the winning percentage of 61%. Since Bruce Arena left the Galaxy under four coaches and three general managers, they're 42, 54, and 23, winning percentage of 45%. They've made the playoffs once. They've finished last once. Um so and, and if they lose one more game, they have five games left, at least five left, maybe six. If they lose one more game, they'll match the worst four-year stretch in franchise history. So there's that. Yes, they're not playing well. Things have really gone off the rails since Bruce Arena left. I don't think the Galaxy ever fully recovered uh, from that disastrous 2017 season. I just don't think they have a culture or a plan going forward. And that is not on Dennis. That's on Beckerman and Chris Klein, I believe. It, it's got to start there. But when you talk about the team uh, – uh, looking different. What you're talking about, of course, is the COVID situation. And I talked to some people uh, the other day, and one of the things they were mentioning is, is yes, there's an expanded transfer window, and yes, you know, that you can get players at discounted rates, and yes, the Galaxy have added Yanni Gonzalez, and Miami's added Iguain, and players have come in. But I'm told it's extremely difficult. Um, not only do the players have to get special permission, be tested there, come in here and quarantine, do all those things. Um, this player told me, in a lot, uh, this person told me, this league official told me, in a lot of places, especially in Latin America, South America, players can't even get into the U.S. consulate to get an appointment uh, to fill out a visa and do the paperwork. I mean, those consulates and, and embassies, because of COVID, there are just completely shut down. And so it's very hard you, you can try to sign a player and you've got to pay him when you sign him. But if he can't get the visa and the necessary transfer paperwork, he can't come play. So, you know, the guys who were play, paying Yanni Gonzalez for a couple of weeks when he was just basically cooling his heels in Brazil because he couldn't get an appointment to get the visa to come here. I say all that because right now the, the some of the focus is on what happens if they let Guillermo go, if they, if they have to replace a coach. And remember, if Guillermo goes – the whole coaching staff, with the exception of Dominic Kinnear, they go with him. You know, his twin brothers on that coaching staff, two other coaches, goalkeeper coach, another assistant coach, and Javier Valdecantos, the performance coach. They all came with Guillermo from Argentina, and presumably if Guillermo goes loyalty, they're not going to come and coach the Galaxy either. So if they let Guillermo go before the end of the season, they need to get a new coach. How can you – if you want a foreign coach, if that's where you're going, you can't get him into the country. He'd, and even if you could – He'd have to do a 14 to 10 to 14 day quarantine. If he came in tomorrow, that means he'd miss, you know, probably two games, right? So, um, how much does that help you? I, I was told all this only because this person I was talking to was was trying to lead me to believe that perhaps the Galaxy would see the season out with Guillermo uh, in charge, simply because replacing him at this point 
probably isn't going to affect the rest of the season. It's not going to turn things around. They're probably not going to make a, a deep run in the playoffs, even if they get there. Um, you might as well let Guillermo try to figure things out and see if he can prove himself over these final five games because, um, you know, there, there, there are very few options. The whole idea of Robbie Keane, I've been told by multiple people at, with the Galaxy that that is not something that they're thinking about at this time, which – as you and I know, and the Galaxy say that, that basically means that's what they're going to do. <laughs> but <they're>, Sometimes, yes. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're telling us not not to go there, that um, it's been pushed back to me. I tweeted this before uh, people, people talked to me about it, so I came up with the idea independent, but I've been told a number of times, look, he's never even coached a team. He's been an assistant. He's never coached. You know, We're not going to bring him in just because he's a club legend and when he hasn't had any coaching experience. So think about that. Um one other thing before we leave the COVID thing is um, a, a pers- another person I was talking to, a league official, said one another part with this coaching thing is uh, and spending and bringing in players, transfer players. The 2021 season is not guaranteed. We have no start date for that yet, and and that's kind of normal at this point. Although we do have an idea generally late February, early March. Um, MLS gets the majority of its revenue from gate receipts or game day activity, you know, parking, uh, ticket sales, all that stuff that happens at the stadium on game day, souvenirs, concessions. Playing in empty stadiums have, has cost this this league a ton of money. Uh, Don Garber says it'll come up to close to a billion dollars. That's that's not true at all. It won't get anywhere near that. But it, it is a sizable amount, and it's their number one source of revenue. This person told me, why would MLS want to start the season in empty stadiums when every game it plays, it loses money? Um, this person seemed to think that if, if the virus was getting uh, closer to being under control, that perhaps MLS would wait till April, May, even June. Uh, before they start the season so they could play the majority of games in stadiums with fans. It might, even if they had to shorten the, the, the schedule, say play 24 games instead of 34, losing 10 games without fans in the stands saves them money because they don't have to travel and and, and do all the things that they would need to do to have those games. Um, and they're coming up on, on negotiating the TV contract. So all that figures into the, the fact that we may not start the season on time and uh, we may have a truncated season next year as well. We'll just have to see where the virus goes. And the virus is not going away. We talked about this yesterday. You and I, the Czech Republic just recently suspended its first division season because uh, the COVID numbers are blowing up over there. They, they've stopped playing and they won't play again, at least until early November. Um, the Bundesliga and I believe it's uh, Ligue 1 in France. They're playing with a limited amount of fans. None of the other major European leagues are playing with fans at this point. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, I think that puts it into perspective a little bit is that things are very much up in the air. Um, and that goes for the LA Galaxy, their coaching situation, player situation. All those things are sort of um, just unknowns at this point. And so having any sort of certainty going into 2021... Um, you know, it's just not there. Um, there's not a lot of certainty that, that we can get there. Obviously, vaccines will start rolling out here probably in the next, I'm guessing, three months. Um, right now, just from, from all the news coverage, you, you can sort of say, I'm obviously not an expert. Um, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Um, but with that comes out and, and how effective those will be and, and sort of where you're looking at uh, being able to distribute and who gets those, uh, you know, to start with, um, I would hope... I would hope, Kevin, that, you know, uh, soccer players and and professional athletes aren't first in line for that stuff. Uh, I would hope that they're somewhere in the middle of the pack whenever it comes to uh, vaccines. So, I mean, there's some uncertainty going in here. I think the LA Galaxy are trying to weather that uncertainty. Um, I think the Robbie Keane rumor is an interesting one. Uh, It's 
It's interesting, Kevin. You and I have both been told basically in almost no uncertain terms that it, it's just not going to happen, that Robbie Keane's not coming Which here. means it will. I, that, and, and, yet, and you and I both sit here and I, exactly that. We're both sitting here going, mm, I don't know about that. We're not ready to write it off yet. And so um, we're still not ready to write it off. I'm not going to tell you that that's not going to happen. That would be ridiculous on my part. Uh, just tell you it's not going to happen because there is at least enough smoke there. I don't think there's any fire, but there's smoke. I mean, listen, Claudine Keene, Robbie Keene's wife, who is really, I would call her the social media uh, uh, of the two, uh, the social media expert of the two, former Miss Ireland, and she's the one who's usually on Twitter, and she's the one who's on Instagram, and Robbie only got on Instagram, remember Kevin, whenever Stephen Gerrard showed up, which was which was funny, because Gerrard had Instagram, so then Robbie Keene got Instagram. Um, it was it was just funny. So uh, you look at that, and Claudine Keene is really the, the, the social media person of that, and so is she trolled everybody she changed her location to los angeles slash ireland i mean you know it was enough for me to pick up the phone and call people again which is funny and people are like no nothing seems to be changed it really the only guarantee that you and i could get out of anything was that gamer bearish was going to be the head coach through sunday and that game is now over um, and it, and as of right now, Monday at about oh, 9 p.m. or so, we have not seen um, and not heard of any coaching changes. I don't think that they're going to do it this week. I think the wind probably bought them a little bit more time. Things died down a little bit. The the the, the furor uh, over over the losing streak um, subsides for the moment. Uh, and that's not to say, Kevin, that I think fans are satisfied with a one nothing win over Vancouver. I don't think that's it at all. Um, but it does just, you know, if if you're uh, if you're a gas stove and you're on high heat right uh, before this game, now that you've won, you're on like medium high heat. You're still on high heat. It's still warm. You're still you're still cooking. You can still boil water with that. Um, but it's just not as hot as as the hottest setting. So uh, it gives the LA Galaxy time maybe to to theorize and to plot and to to think about really what they want to do because I don't think anybody that you and I have talked to Kevin has has denied that changes probably need to be made. Um, and that if they did lose the game, certainly changes probably would have had to have been made right away. But now there's there's a little bit more time on this. Uh, the rumor here is that Gamera Barrasquillo wow. still has a million um, a million dollars left on uh, left on his contract for next year, and basically he's making a million dollars a year for the LA Galaxy. Yeah, and by the way, that was a very tortured metaphor about the, the stove and the heat. But um, yeah, he signed a three year contract because Dennis told us it was going to be a three year rebuilding plan, and they're only uh, at the end of the second season. So there's another million dollars uh, on that. All the assistant coaches probably have three-year contracts as well. I don't know. They're not making a million dollars. I don't know what the terms of that is. It would be very expensive to buy him out is the point. So I, I'm not sure that they're eager to do that. Um, the one nothing win did buy them a little bit of time. I think if they, in the next game or two, if they come up with another embarrassing six to nothing or six to two defeat, I think maybe that changes things. Uh, I would expect it to be an interim situation. I don't know whether Dominic Kinnear would want to do that again. Uh, we've talked about that. Um, but the, the message that I got was, look, if we had a candidate, we couldn't get him into the country anyways. You know, maybe it could be another domestic uh, right. coach, Jason Christ or somebody. But uh, Jill they Ellis? don't seem to- Jill Ellis would be a, a great choice. Um, Jill Ellis would do very well in L.A. And, and I, I've actually kind of looked at the Jill Ellis situation. Now, they're talking about her at D.C. United. 
Um, and DC United has the worst record in the league this season. There's not a lot of resources there. The one problem with the women coach is if you bring in Jill Ellis or anybody, but Jill Ellis is one everyone's talking about. If you bring them in, it's because your team is losing. Nobody that's successful. Toronto's not going to replace their coach at the end of the season if they if they win the quote unquote supporter shield if, or they win MLS Cup. When you're winning, you don't change the coach. You change the coach when you're losing, and that generally means the things are a mess. That uh, you don't have the right players. You don't have the right combination of players. You don't have the resources. So you bring a Jill Ellis into that situation. It ha- same thing happened to Bob Bradley. Remember at Swansea and, and the EPL. Right. You bring them in. They don't immediately turn things around. It's not because they're bad coaches it's because it's a bad team um the galaxy a little bit different they do have resources it still is a big club they still can recruit um just despite the fact the last four seasons have been the last the worst four season stretch in in team history they still are the galaxy and so if you were to bring in jill ellis this would be a much better test i believe than than sending her to dc united but the point is it doesn't look like the galaxy are ready to pull that string yet um but you know one thing we haven't talked about uh not at length anyways, is th- I, I don't think this is Guillermo's fault. I, I, I do think Guillermo is not the answer. I think he's had a, a rough time, and I think he's he's shown that perhaps he's not adapting to MLS as everyone hoped he would. Um, I think Dennis has some good ideas. I think given the chance to implement some of those, I think Dennis could do okay. Um, but there's been one, and again, Guillermo's the fourth coach, if you include Dom as the interim, he's the fourth coach. If you include Ziggy as GM, which he was, Dennis is third GM since Bruce left. A couple of people haven't left since Bruce left, and that's Dan Beckerman and that's Chris Klein. Um, they're the one through line. They're the one consistent group that has been here through all four of those poor seasons. Um, why is it that no one's not looking at them and saying, well, wait a minute, maybe the problem isn't in the technical area. Maybe it's not the general manager. Maybe it's the guys writing the check and setting the, the culture and setting the direction for this team. Maybe that's where the problem is. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I certainly think fans are, are pointed that out. There was a, a Klein out sign, I believe, on the way into the stadium whenever I drove in. Um, so so there was that. Um, I, I've seen it all over social media. It, you know, we've talked about this a bunch with Dan Beckerman in charge of both the, the Kings and the Galaxy and both of those situations, while different and, and certainly entering different phases, um, have not been real successful under him. Um, and so, you know, it, it matters. And I think the metrics are important to sort of measure, too. I mean... It's my belief right now that Chris Klein has divorced himself from most of the on-field stuff that is going on. All right, now that's that's my general opinion of that, um, just from talking to different people. And so, you know, looking at what is on the field now, can you really sit there and blame Chris Klein? And in my mind, Kevin, I have a difficult time doing that. That's not to say, however, that I don't believe that accountability has been dodged for many, many years. Uh, remember, Chris Klein got a contract, a five-year contract extension after the LA Galaxy's worst season in in franchise history. Um, so he got a five-year contract extension. So. Um, I, I think that accountability has been dodged at the upper levels of the LA Galaxy. I, you can't point and say that you know these specific reasons, unless they came in and they absolutely forced Chicharito on Dennis DeClosa and Gamer Barrascalotto, and they said absolutely you're going to take them, and that's just the way it's going to be, and it's my way or the highway. Um, I don't think that that happened in this particular case. I think it may have happened in other cases, you know, earlier in uh, in the life of the LA Galaxy, but I don't feel that that's the way this time. Uh, it's just you, you can't keep 
firing everybody underneath you. I mean, you know, the the only real survivors, I think, from the Bruce Arena era now, uh, Dan Beckerman, uh, Chris Klein, and Jovan Karofsky, right? Those are the three pl- three people well, in in upper echelon workings that have survived since Bruce. Well, let me let me say this about that. Um, you know, Chris, I, I've talked to people that have been involved with uh, what goes on in the Galaxy front office, and they say one of Chris's problems is that he um, he doesn't really want, as you say, he's d- divorced himself from a lot of the day-to-day operations. That kind of dovetails with what I've heard. He doesn't really want to make a decision because he doesn't want that decision to come back and haunt him. So what he'll do is he, if someone co- – if, for example, if there's a competing thing, if you and I go to him and say – and I say, we should sign Chicharito, and you say no – Chris won't tell either one of us we're right. He'll just sort of say, I'm thinking about it and just let it play out. And I know of instances in the past, in the recent past, where Chris Klein's inability to, to decide between two competing uh, viewpoints has cost the Galaxy players. Players that were ready to sign, um, the Galaxy had just ham and hawed for so long, the players have moved on and gone somewhere else. Um, so he... I, this is what I've heard. I don't know if any firsthand here, uh, it, you know, experience. I haven't sat in on contract talks with him, but I hear he has very difficult time making the decision. And, and the other thing is, is um, it's going to be interesting to see Dan Klein or Dan Beckerman and Chris Klein have been have been allies through this. But at some point, do they turn on one another? And the reason I say that is the first year, 2017, was a disaster, and they were both. Uh, and lockstep. That was the, they liked that idea of bringing all those young players up. They were both sold on it. It went south. Kurt Onofo got fired. Um, Kurt Onofo was the fall guy for that. The next year, things didn't get any better. Ziggy got fired. And then after the, the season, then Pete got fired. So again, it was like, hey, you know, Chris and Dan, we're good. We, we did everything right. These other guys screwed up. So those guys are out. Well, now we're into the fourth coach and the third general manager and the same two guys that have been there throughout all this, Dan Beckerman and Chris Klein, um, you know, do they turn on each other? Do they both leave? Dan's the guy. He's the boss. Does he fire Klein and say, now I think I found the missing link? Does AEG get rid of uh, a Beckerman? I don't see how that would happen, but it's possible, I suppose, if if, if the big guy got involved. Um, so it, it, it's just going to be interesting to see how this plays out because there's not a lot of scapegoats left. Yeah, it's and that's that's sort of the thing. It's it's you can only dodge accountability uh, for so long. Yes. Well, what one other thing I want to say too? You say, well, what has he done wrong? I'm told from the people in the previous coaching staff have told me that that Bruce and Dave Sarakin and who were there and Kenny Arena, they did not want Steven Gerrard. They did not want. Uh, they did not not want. Uh, Gio Dos Santos, that that was an idea that came from AEG. They wanted those players. They wanted to sell the T-shirts. They wanted to have, uh, you know, Gio be on TV. That never worked out. So those were moves forced on them by management that, that the coaching staff did not want, and neither one of those worked out. But when you look at other th- other guys they, they've, that this front office has signed and brought in that didn't work out, Salatan was – they hit it out of the b- ballpark. I mean, arguably the best – signing the most dominant player in MLS history, and they got him two seasons, 52 goals for a million dollars. Genius. $10 million. $10 million, a million dollars, yeah. $10 million. Genius. Great move. Maybe the greatest signing ever in MLS history, given the price price tag. So give him that. And and I have to say, you know, full disclosure, I thought that 
the Chicharito signing was a great signing. It may still prove to be a good signing. Right now, it's a disaster. But said Chicharito and Zlatan Asani, look at other signings that have not gone well. People Gonzalez, Jao Pedro, Jurgen Shelvick, Michael Ciani, Jer- uh, Jermaine Jones, Jack McInerney. This is just in the last couple of years. Uh, and go back uh, to the Ola Kamara deal where it that, that looked like it was going to work out too. Ola Kamara traded for Giassi's artist. His artist is what second in the league in scoring now. And all, I, I don't think Ola's in the league anymore. Um, so uh, a lot of the things that they have done from a personnel standpoint have not worked out either. Yeah, and and you're absolutely right. So anyway, those are sort of the things that I think everybody uh, is is interested in seeing how it plays out for the rest of the season. Um, I, I wanted to get to one more thing before we sort of wrapped everything up for for tonight, and that's been you know the I think the the Spanish speaking press have, has really gone after Chicharito, and I think some of it's deserved and some of it's not deserved. If you want to talk about his play on the field, I think it's 100 percent deserved, and you can go after him for that. Uh, I think he has been a disaster, as you said so far. Um, you know, you look at his time in there, you look at getting benched. I mean, you know, you shouldn't have to bench designated player in order to motivate them to do uh, what you wanted them to do and you know it was sort of hinted at i think in spanish with guillermo barrescolotto speaking is that he had really no plans to bring chicharito into that game um that he was going to bench him and then yoni gonzalez got hurt and chicharito had to had to come in and play uh again it's good that he did because i think chicharito played better than than yoni gonzalez did and maybe there's a pathway there for more success but one of the uh, themes that have sort of developed is that Chicharito thinks of himself as a diva, uh, that he's sort of like Messi and Ronaldo combined, I think is one of the translations that I have seen uh, on this stuff. And I just want to say this is uh, if you want to go after a guy for his uh, for his play on the field, go ahead, because I think that's well within everybody's bounds. You can see what's going on. If you can't see what's going on, you, you know, you, you have your eyes closed on it and th- that's fine. Um, but to, to sort of suggest that he's a diva and that he doesn't get along with any of his teammates seems to be uh, not just a little bit of a stretch, but a lot of stretch. Um, and speaking to some different people in and close to the club, I have had nobody come back and say that this could be further. You know, they're, they're like, this couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, he gets along with everybody. Uh, you know, he, he works hard in training, um, all these things. He was very happy for if you saw the celebration with Kai Kareniuk, whenever Kai scored, you know, they were talking and they were hugging and they were, they were having a laugh. And Chicharito was smiling after the win and he was high-fiving people. And he was really there, um, you know, with his teammates and, and doing all those things. So um, I think... Th- uh, you know, I, I think that you know labeling him a diva at this per, at this point with, with everything that's going on, I, I think it, it's just it, it's sort of a, a you know a red herring. There, this is this is this seems like a false chase for all this stuff. You can certainly question Kevin his work ethic. I think that that is correct. Uh, you could question his shape. Um, because I still don't think he's in game playing shape. Uh, he still looks exhausted. Uh, I was talking with some some other people who were watching along, and it's like you know we saw some videos of Chicharito playing um, you know somewhere else, and you're like, who is that guy? Because that guy looks like he's in shape, and this guy doesn't look like he's in shape. I mean, you know, he played 40 minutes, and it looked like he was dead towards the end of that. So um, all those things having been said. Chicharito has a lot to make up for. Um, has to do a lot of things, but the 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 narrative that he is seems some sort of diva um, right now. Uh, at least in in my limited view and understanding of what is going on inside that locker room, it seems like it's pretty false. No, he, I think he's liked by his teammates as a person. I mean, I think you might find some people that that point out the things that you do, like how dedicated is he to this team, and 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 I I have no further 
percent evidence that he's not. I'm just saying that if there are rumblings, you know, they might be along those lines. And the MLS, perhaps more than than a lot of first division. Uh, leagues has that problem because there's a lot of kids like Kareniak coming up that want to make their name. There's a lot of guys like Sasha who are on their way out that want one more trophy. And so when you have a key player like like Chicharito, that is, if there's a perception that maybe he's not giving 100%, you can see where there could be a little bit of disconnect in the locker room. Like, hey, this is my last shot. You know, please come and help me get my last trophy. But as far as being a bad guy, a diva, someone who puts himself above his teammates, I've never seen that in Chicharito. I've been around Chicharito a lot with the Mexican national team. I've never known him to put himself above the rest of his team. All right. Uh, the LA Galaxy have a uh, game coming up on Sunday, October 25th. Like we said, the streaking, pro- streaking LA Galaxy. The streak is that a one is not a streak. All right. And it's like oh, well, oh. You, you have to get two in order for it to be a streak. Uh, the red hot. It's like when you turn the oven on the stove on and sometimes it's on high heat. They're on they're on high heat right now. Really? Really? You want to go after me for, <laughs> for a perfectly well-reasoned uh, metaphor of, of what it's like to be Guillermo Barrescoloto? I didn't say anybody put him in an ice bath. I didn't say that, you know, like whenever you're cooking asparagus, Kevin, use medium-high heat with asparagus, you know, a little olive oil in there, salt and pepper. You want to get those until maybe the ends are a little bit crispy. I like them a little bit crispy. But then you want to you wanna go ahead and dip those in ice water, right? Nobody dipped Guillermo Barrescoloto in ice water after being, you know, sort you of You got a Gatorade bath. <laughs> nobody, nobody did any of that stuff. Uh, all right. It was just the, the heat is not as intense. Sometimes you go from a boil to a simmer. All right. It's not even that. It's still a so boil. We're, it's we're, just not a rolling boil. Where are the galaxy? Are they simmering? Are they boiling? Are they? <laughs> well, Guillermo's Guillermo's seat is is boiling. It's it's a rolling boil at this point. I would say it's not out of control, but it's it's a rolling boil. Um, and I don't think it's going to simmer anytime soon. Uh, certainly not through the end of the season. Have no, we, the galaxy are at that the galaxy are at that point where you take them out of the microwave and stir the potatoes <laughs> and then put them back in. And you got to put the film back over. Yeah, you have, to, you, you have to poke a hole in the film. You pull it back. And I, have you ever not bought a microwave dinner of some sort because it has too many steps? Uh, on the package because I have done that. Like it's like, oh, put it in for four minutes and then peel the, then mix and then put the plastic back over and then poke one hole in yeah, the. Yeah, it's like, who, <laughs> I, who am I, Wolfgang Puck? Yeah, exactly. if I wanted to do that, I would have made something good. Exactly, that's Swanson. I want, I want something. If you tell me to poke a hole in it, that's fine. Four and a half minutes later, it better be ready for me to eat. That's all I'm asking for. All right, yeah. uh, Galaxy play LAFC on Sunday, October twenty fifth, twelve thirty p.m. Pacific time kickoff. This game is on ABC over the air right now. That's what I understand. That's what they told me. I'm gonna believe it. Um, so that's where you sit. Uh, we're gonna have a full show on Thursday, uh, possibly as I said putting some of the band back together on Thursday night. So having a full show on Thursday night to get you ready for the last El Trafico here during the regular season. And then like we talked about LA Galaxy off to Portland the Wednesday following October 28th, uh, home uh, Sunday, November 1st to Real Salt Lake, uh, and then home midweek against Seattle in the makeup game on November 4th, and then away in Portland to play the Vancouver Whitecaps on Sunday, November 8th. That's what you have lined up. All right, Kevin, anything else you want to get to? No, I think I shot my wad already. All right, we're done. That's it. We're, we're out of here. All right, if you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, it's at kbaxter11. Head on over to latimes.com. Make sure you sign up for his newsletter as well, uh, covering soccer in Southern California around the United States. Uh, he does some great stuff on the newsletter, so uh, sign up for that, latimes.com. Uh, follow all of Kevin's stuff. All right, if you're looking for me on Twitter, it's at jguessman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N, and, of course, at Galaxy Podcast. Uh, head on over to cornerthegalaxy.com. We'll have a greetings galaxy coming up on Tuesday, so you can... 
feast your eyes on that and see how the hammer uh, graded everybody and, and did all that stuff. Uh, a couple good articles up there as well, recapping the game. All right, for Mr. Kevin the Panda Baxter, I'm Josh Pato Guessman, and you've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Have a great one, everybody. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. Fans, we thank you for listening, and we ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody. <laughs>